Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by a good friend and very special guest, Kent Martin. I first met Kent while working as Senior Marketing Director for John Asraf at Neurogym, formerly known as Praxis Now. He was a social media manager, and during our time together, I personally witnessed him single-handedly grow John's Facebook presence to well over 300,000 raving fans. On top of this, him and I were the entire marketing department, and together, we built and launched many successful campaigns, pulling in a few hundred thousand dollars to millions of dollars. In fact, one particular funnel we built did $1.6 million before I left the company and according to Kent, has now done over $7 million in just under three years. I've asked Kent to join us here today so him and I can reminisce a little on the good, the bad, the challenges we had to overcome, as well as, as, well as find out what he's learned since I left and can share with us to grow our own businesses. Kent, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been way too long since we last talked. How you doing, my friend? Pretty good. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's an honor. We've been chatting a little bit before the call, and we had a chat the other day, yep. and it's just, man, it's just good to catch up. So I'm glad everyone's doing happy, and he- everyone's happy, healthy, and doing well. Um, but part of the, your story that actually I don't even really know is, how did you get started? I mentioned in your intro just now that you grew his presence, and I remember when I showed up, I'm like, who is this kid? Because you took his right. presence, well, it was like, at, I think it was either at 50 or 70,000 when I showed up. But you had a system and you, you had like a technique of how you would do the posts and how you would organize them. But how did you even like get started in like marketing and social media marketing yeah. and online marketing? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, when you came on board, you're right. Um, we were at around 50K in terms of followers. Before that, I actually uh, joined uh, Praxis, now Neurogym, uh, as a volunteer, uh, I think like a year and a half prior. And they had a need for someone in marketing in a weak spot in social media. Um, and for the first six months, I kind of bounced around doing a bunch of different random odd jobs and then um, kind of showed a proficiency, a proficiency for social media um, and dug into the, the data and the analytics behind what really drove social media and was able to optimize and develop that system um, that you were saying to continuously grow it um, through content marketing um, really kind of using an 80-20 principle of, of content to, to pitch, um, to both generate content, provide great value, and um, generate leads and drive sales. But before that, um, I went to school for economics um, and then eventually switched over to philosophy. And the, com- the combination of those two disciplines, I think, you know, I use them every single day. Um, and, you know, really I kind of attribute my success and kind of learning how to think through things systematically and logically, um, to kind of that background. Got it. 
Got it, got it, got it. So can we dive into this a little bit? You said that you were looking at the data, and I love that. And I think that's part of how we both really hit it off because we were both very data-driven marketers. We didn't necessarily right. care about fluff. We wanted to know what really got results. So you talked about the the content, the 80-20 content to pitch. Can you can you go through, like, does that still work? Is that still what you guys are using today? It is, and that principle is something we apply to every single social media platform and even the emails we send out. It's a matter of providing value to the people who are receptive to your message. And I think when you came on board and before you came on board, we weren't necessarily a data-driven company yet. We are now, 100%. But then, you know, we were kind of appealing to the so-called best practices of the industry, you know, what a lot of the talking heads were saying, and we were just kind of reacting. We weren't really thinking about why we were doing these things. We were just doing them because, you know, hey, that's what, you know, this other guy's doing or that guy's doing. And he's saying it's working, so let's do it. And it wasn't until we started actually looking at our results and, you know, responding and optimizing that we were able to kind of grow that snowball and put some wind behind the sails of the company from lead generation perspective. That's awesome. That's so awesome. So for the people that are listening, I guess that's a, a tidbit that they can take back, that whatever you're doing, it sounds like on social media, that you want to try to divide it. And I remember we had kind of, we started with five posts a day, so we had like three that were content and two that were pitch, and we kind of tried to nestle them together. And even right. in your post, though, you had like, you know, the, the pitch really came at the end. So if you had wrote a post, you'd made sure that two-thirds or three uh, – well, it can't be three-thirds, four-fifths. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Obviously, you know, I'm not a math major. <laughs> absolutely. But but what we would do is, you know, we'd use that 80-20 um, principle. And even when we were pitching, we still would provide value and content in the pitch. So for the people that weren't ready to purchase or opt-in, we were still providing them value. So even they, even though they may have known that, you know, they were being sold to or they were being marketed to, they didn't care because we were still giving them value. Um, so, you know, we were generating leads and also kind of building the brand value at the same time. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. So, yeah. And that's, I think a key tenant, you know, you can't bore. And for the listeners, you can't bore people into listening to your marketing message. So it was like education based selling where you would educate or you would share something of value or of inspiration, but yep. in it nestled would be an offer for whatever you've got. Correct. Edutainment. Edutainment. Right, right, right. So now you mentioned the emails, so it's the same thing with email. Does that mean that eighty percent of the emails are just content emails, or are you pitching in every email and it's eighty percent content and twenty percent, like we just said, like the social media stuff? How does that translate over? Yeah, well, I would like it to be eighty twenty in emails. I, I admittedly, maybe we're not adhering to that ratio. I think we need to kind of apply some of the stuff we've learned on social media to email and some of our other um, platforms, but we have worked that in um, to kind of our autoresponders um, and follow-up sequences um, because of the success on social media. Um, and it has worked because we're continuously trying to add value to everyone who's on our list or who has kind of raised their hand to say, hey, I'm interested in what this guy has to say. Um, and that's kind of been the guiding principle. Um, in which all of our marketing is based off of now. 
Mm, mm, mm. Behavior-based marketing, yeah, which is huge, and that's definitely the way of the future moving forward, right? Um, and you see that even like on Facebook. If you comment on a thread, that's the one you get notifications for. You don't get notifications for stuff you don't engage with. So that's a really powerful principle, and anyone that's listening to this may want to consider that because if you're blasting – and I know that we used to do this. In fact, one of the next things I want to ask you about is the challenges, and I know one of the challenges when I first came on is that every message that we sent out went to everybody – when everybody, the whole world had to know about every email we were sending, even if it wasn't relevant to them. Right. Um, <laughs> remember those days? I do. Um, I do. Those, those are, <laughs> those are a thing of the past now, thankfully. And I think that's actually where we kind of came up with that concept of the orbits, right? Of kind of the relationship based marketing, you know, within each sequence where this person is, what should they receive next? And I know you, in the past, you always appeal to Jermaine and kind of how he, you know, optimized that to a T. And we eventually moved in that direction as well. Right, right, right. Yeah, uh, Kent's referencing Jermaine Griggs. He's been on our show twice. Um, he's got a course. One of the courses that we mentioned was his automation clinic course. And then it, he discusses the thing of an orbit, which is basically um, a sequence of campaigns that people self-select into. So now your autoresponders become kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. So when you send someone an email, you know, maybe send them two or three emails on a topic. If they don't click it or anything, then nothing else happens. But if they click it, that means that they must have some sort of interest on that topic and then they get more emails relevant to that topic. So um, now what have been some of the biggest challenges, I guess, for NeuroGym slash now in the development of, you know, where you've gotten to today? I would say, you know, it's kind of what I was referring to earlier in terms of the way the industry used to work, internet marketing and kind of, you know, the education angle that we have, it was largely driven by events and, and live events. Um, and we were, when I came on board, we were running all these live events that required the entire company to focus on it for six months to market to people across the world, to get them to fly out to San Diego, to come to an event, to see John and a number of expert speakers. And over time, by looking at the data, we kind of, uh, or I, I realized that, you know, hey, this isn't working like as it, you know, used to in the past based upon kind of what I'm seeing. Uh, the challenge there was getting everyone else to buy into kind of the virtual training model to eventually replace the live events because it was a complete mindset shift for, for, for John and a number of other people in the company because they were so used to, you know, the, the previous industry model that had worked for them. For, for years. So that, I think, is, is really the biggest challenge. And eventually, you know, luckily the data won out, and we did eventually make that, that switch, um, and we're, we're seeing the results. Now, is that – are you talking about the, the Brainathon, the, the, like the funnel that we built, is talking about, like, switching from the virtual training of the live events to that? Yeah, that was the first – that was our real big winner, and that's still our flagship event that we run every single Saturday. After we saw the success of the Brainathon, we decided to start creating other events in the model of the Brainathon with kind of a cookie cutter approach with different products and different messages. And that's how we've been able to scale to the level that we're at now. 
which is awesome. So, so yeah, that's that's so I'm just patting myself on the back right now because that's that's a great that's a, just a wonderful thing to hear. It really is. So okay, so and what he's talking about, and we've done. Can you may not be familiar with my show, and that's fine. Don't worry. Um, but I've I've interviewed Jeff Roning from Stealth Seminar, and we've talked about this sort of thing a lot. I've been beating the drum of things like teleseminars and webinars and these automated events like that because it's a way to scale yourself where you catch yourself. So what Kent's describing was we did a brainathon, which was a six-hour web broadcast. It was kind of like uh, anyone that's an older listening to this, you know, if there's ever like the telethon where they're doing the, you know, the TV station would be doing yep. a fundraiser all day. You know, it was kind of like that. Like it was on my event. And it, I believe the format was like 20% content or 20 minutes of content, 20 minutes of case study, 20 minutes of kind of pitch. Um, and it was repeated six times over and for make a six hour event. And we broadcasted it live. We did it first with uh, traffic of our own list and our partners that were willing to help promote it for us. And we made a bunch of sales. And then after we went back and we automated it. And then uh, with a budget of $500 and Facebook, we started driving paid advertising to it. And in the beginning, uh, correct me if my numbers are wrong, but I think at the beginning we were spending like $3.50 per lead and we were grossing $27 per lead in the very, very early days. And then once we started spending more than 1000 or two a week, I, that started to flatline. Um, when I left the company, it was I think we were spending about 12 to 14 per lead and, and grossing about 24 So we were doubling our money, essentially. Um, does that does that resonate? Is that yeah? Is that about right? It, it, it's about right, yeah. And and we've scaled kind of our advertising imprint since then. And now we're kind of at a level where we're willing to kind of spend a dollar anywhere as long as we can make more than a dollar back. So that's kind of um, the way that we approach it now. Initially, we got those amazing ROI numbers. That was just kind of proof of concept, you know, to kind of put some more resources behind it and really uh, swing for the fences with the, uh, the brain upon event itself. Love that. Yeah. So now we have this event that we did and we had the recording of it. So again, for people listening, this is a concept of if you give a presentation, if you have an onstage presentation, if you have a webinar that you do for people, if you do a, if you have a one-on-one, if you have a one-on-one consult you do with people, there's a way you can learn to do that with someone else on the other side of a computer screen instead of having to do it in person. And you can record that even if it's over the phone, if you can do it over the phone and you can record it again, um, you need to figure out how to get it up from being one-on-one to one-to-many because that's where the real power is and that's essentially what we had we had an event that was one-to-many we recorded it we caught ourselves at concert pitch and now we've automated it and then now as you hear from kent you know we were making a hundred thousand i think we scaled up we were doing a hundred thousand a week on a consistent basis every saturday and then now it sounds like we've got this one main funnel with a bunch replicated behind it people self-select into so uh, which is a really powerful thing if you think about it, and it's not an easy feat to set up. So this isn't none of this is get rich quick, you know, be on the beach and money flies out of your computer. But it is automated marketing and sales uh, to the nth degree in an extremely powerful way, um, which is awesome. That's awesome. That's so awesome, Ken. Sorry, I'm just caught on that because that's just that's just great news. Yeah. Um, and the power, and like you said, and gets you out of kind of like a. a feast famine kind of scenario where you're kind of almost in famine because you're preparing for the next event. Then you have the next live event. Oh, and the thing happens and now you're feasting because you got all these sales, but now you have to live off that to get to the next one where now you've kind of got these automated 
events. He's, uh, is it all is it all web events? Do you guys do teleseminars or anything like that too, or is it just webinars? Oh, we we mainly webinars. We call them virtual trainings now. Sometimes we'll do like a Facebook live kind of Q and A. We use YouTube live stream right now to run all of our live events, but we're almost exclusively webinars now. We still have some legacy events from the past that we fulfill on, but really it's all about the the online webinars or virtual trainings. Which is awesome, which is so awesome, yeah. Because the beautiful thing about that is you do it once and you pour your heart and soul into it for people, but then you have it and it's there for people forever, you know what I mean? And they always get to enjoy it, so that's excellent. So now, what were some of the other challenges that were encountered in trying to scale it? I know we had, first we had tech issues, that was one that we had, where we were using one platform. I don't want to speak bad of anyone, but we were using one platform. This is before we started going to Facebook ads. Or I think the January when Andy came right. on, I think, you know, and it, it just, it wasn't working. We have technical difficulties. We switched to a new company, which was Stealth, which is, again, if you want to learn, if you want to learn about this stuff, please go back and listen to the other interviews with Jermaine Griggs, Jeff Roning. Um, those are two that come to mind right now where we kind of talk about those. And we switched to Stealth Seminar because it was a more robust platform that now we didn't have those technical issues that we had. That was a real pain point. What were some other challenges that we had to overcome or you even had to overcome after I left? Yeah, well, I think uh, initially kind of setting it up and, and, you know, really getting that blueprint of, of the evergreen model chiseled out to where we could get the wind in our sails. I kind of feel like, you know, it was it was you and me, you know, trying to start that fire, you know, rubbing sticks together and we'd see a flame and then it would go out and then we'd see a flame and then it would go out and then eventually, um, you know, it kind of caught fire and, you know, we had that going and we were just like, oh, okay, now we know how to start a fire. Let's start another one over here. But once we figured, <laughs> yeah, once we figured that out, um, we ran into some of the tech issues that you were referencing, and really it was just we were growing so fast that we were hitting the caps uh, in terms yeah. of unique right. viewers. We were maxing out Infusionsoft, and yeah, we were yeah. maxing out everything. We were just outgrowing our outgrowing our systems, and because we had limited resources, we didn't have people on board to think. What if we hit our cap? You know, we were just like, how do we get these people registered and show get them to show up? You know, it's kind of like if you're having a party and you're like, oh, man, I don't know if anyone's going to show up. You know, maybe three or four people. And then all of a sudden you got 500 people at your house. You're like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Fire department's showing up. Police are there. Neighbors are complaining. You're like, ah, you know, it's a champagne problem. Right. That's what it, it is for sure. was the champagne problem. But that um, <laughs> kind of forced us into the mindset of, um, and me specifically into kind of anticipating any sort of breakage uh, that we could possibly have and to, you know, develop a mindset to think through, okay, you know, we had this problem in the past. How can we put a contingency in place to make sure it never happens again? Um, and that mindset is something that I've adopted and now really I'm in charge of uh, at Neurogym, just kind of making sure everything keeps humming, keeps working and doesn't doesn't break right so have i want to ask like how how like how do you anticipate the unexpected i just that that really piqued my interest because what you just said about that like how do you know what's not gonna i mean you just i can i can already kind of come up with some things but i want to know like do you have a like a, a method or a formula and how do you how do you make a game plan for something like that 
when you kind of have a strategy and you know you want to generate X amount of leads um, and you know you have a system like a stealth seminar or cover it live or YouTube, what I'll do now is I'll make sure to vet those systems, you know, with my contact with those platforms to make sure we understand what their, their limitations are. And we'll, you know, think it through on the front end to where we know just by doing the math and the projections that cover it live will, which is our chat solution for our online events, we'll be able to handle the number of people that we're bringing to the event. And, and our web developer right now actually creates a number of simulators on the web pages where you can actually simulate the event and say, okay, if the event's at this time, start the webinar in the chat so we can go through the experience, the user experience before the actual event. Um, so we have a lot of kind of protocols and diagnostic reports that have evolved out of necessity you know, from kind of some fires that have started in the past in terms of growing too quickly. So there isn't any exact science to it. It's kind of just making sure you're thinking through the situation to the best of your ability. Right, 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 right. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um have you have you simplified anything? I'm 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 not I don't know anything asking that, but I just want to ask cuz one of the things we did an interview actually did interview Dimitri, you know Dimitri. Yeah. I did another interview with Dimitri and we were talking about that and we were talking about the difference between 6, 7 and 8 figure businesses and he was talking about that the bigger the numbers the business does, the simpler things become because if it's not simple, it'll break. Yeah, yeah. Um I mean, I don't want to say what we do is simple you know how big that infusionsoft campaign yes. was <laughs> well, we like to call it the the battleship because that thing is massive but what we were able to do was kind of develop those systems and levels of oversight to where um kind of i'm the acting air traffic controller of all the systems with all the planes in the air so you make sure they don't crash and we have right. standard operating procedures and monitors on a, on a lot of our pages if, if something goes down or if we're tracking conversions and Facebook is saying we have this many opt-ins and FusionSoft is saying we have that many. We know there's an issue and we have a plan to resolve it quickly before it kind of can cause the whole event itself or the whole campaign itself to go awry. So, and, and, and you know, you need resources to do that too. There's, you can't do that with one person. So luckily we were able to scale, you know, through that evergreen model and bring people on board as we were growing to be able to kind of monitor the event at scale with, with the people we needed to make sure we didn't have any sort of breakage, you know, week over week. Hmm. Mm, mm, mm. Now, how about scaling the paid advertising? Do you have any tips for people that if they're in a position where they've got something, some of the, I mean, we have a semi-savvy audience. Right. Some people are advanced. I mean, we've got a wide audience. Some people are really advanced. If there's someone that's like, okay, I got an event and I'm trying to scale it. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, cause again, that's something that's another drum that I beat a lot on the show is you have to learn to make paid media work. You know, that was the biggest thing that blew my mind when I was working with you guys is I'd done a lot in different businesses, 
but never on the scale that like John's was the first. I've had repeat successes since that, but before that, that was the first big one. And it was because no one had ever been using paid traffic. I mean, even with John, the numbers that we did with John was just because of the following he had. And I was like, you know, but once we figured out paid traffic, you, you know, it was definitely an advantage for John. But now, even if you took it all away, because knowing he's got a company and the team and everyone knows how to make paid traffic work, you start from zero and scale it up again. So what about with scaling the paid traffic part? Challenges there, things that were learned, advice for new people? Yeah, there's there's always a lot of challenges there. And kind of when we were working with, you know, that $500 a day or week budget or whatever it was initially um, on Facebook, that was when Facebook's advertising platform was newer and less people were using it. So the Facebook advertising landscape has become more and more competitive. So prices overall, you know, using it have gone up because there's more and more competition in news feeds. So that's something we're fighting right now. You know, we're not getting those $3.50 cost per registrations anymore. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure that whatever we spend, um, we cover it on the back end uh, within, within a week. So after we run our event every Saturday, we'll evaluate, all right, how did all those leads from paid media perform? And were we ROI positive? Were we in the black or were we in the red? And if we're in the red, we look at who we're targeting, all the different campaigns with our agency, um, which ones had the highest ROI, and we'll kind of pause the ones that are in the red and scale up the ones that are in the black. And we continuously iterate and reevaluate that by trying different um, I like to call them kind of jungles to go into in, in Facebook, different copy creative combinations. There are so different day parting strategies. So maybe you have a group of people you're targeting um, 35 to 55 year old women in Australia one week, and then you let that list rest for two weeks, and then you turn that on later um, as opposed to just leaving it on continuously. I was gonna. I was gonna ask that. How do you handle ad fatigue? But that's it. You cycle through. Yeah, and one of the things we've also found is that when you're when you're running ads on Facebook, um, and Facebook would never admit this, but I believe that the relevancy score is tied to kind of how you perform organically and on a paid media side of things. So if you're doing well on the organic side of things on Facebook, Facebook will give you a little more leeway in terms of how your ads are displayed. So they have some sort of algorithm or a mathematical function that just evaluates, you know, what your page is doing as a whole and says, okay, there's a demand for the marketing message that this page is throwing out there, show it to more people. So it's, you know, at the most granular level, it's really just keeping a close eye on the data, on the insights with every KPI and every measurement you can think of. And then kind of identifying the strategies that work for you and scaling those up and phasing out the ones that don't work. Got it. Now, I, this is just a, this is actually a very pointed question, but it's simple. Anyways, you talked about having to try different copy strategies in that. Are you, do you have to change the landing page, uh, you know, often to do that? Because that's the other thing is, uh, I mean, maybe it's just, maybe testing is the answer. Um, 
but that's something too. I mean, if you're trying all these different targets, all these different potential audiences, and you're expanding the reach and, you know, shutting some off and turning some on, and you're driving them all to the same landing page, are you duplicating the landing pages? Are you trying different headlines on the landing pages? I mean, I, I imagine... All if of you guys, Yeah, because I'm like, I was going to say, I imagine if I left that legacy, you guys are split testing everything uh, constantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it's kind of a balance. And you don't have to have, you know, 20 different landing pages that you're driving to. Sometimes it can help. You could just change the copy in the ads that are your newsfeed ads and drive to the same landing page. It will work. But eventually that landing page will get tired and you'll want to swap it out with something that, you know, looks and feels new. There's also a resource um, issue there with, you know, the web development team or vendor you may have to where is it really practical to change all those landing pages so much? And how much value do you get out of that? I mean, is it significant in making those changes or are you just kind of trying to boil the ocean there by by doing too much <laughs> you know it, it's a balance sometimes you can you can strike a headline that really does show a, a significant bump in conversion and then other times whatever you do you know you still have the same conversion rate and as it relates to split testing i learned very quickly that just because you can split test doesn't mean that you should right um and it, it's something that you have to do, but you have to pick and choose your battles with split test. Yes, 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 yes. So that means these people listening to it, button color may not be a priority. Headlines, yes. Offers, yes. Page layouts, yes. Color scheme, uh, you know, it, it's, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was really about the jungle you're hunting in. So, and meaning the audience that you're targeting. So if you had success with a certain audience initially of 300,000 people and then kind of gone sour, that just means that, you know, that jungle you were in, maybe you kind of, you know, you already went through and kind of hunted, you know, all the prey in that jungle. And now you need to go to a different island. Um, so that's that's kind of, you know, where in terms of the lowest hanging fruit or where you'll see a pickup in sales, typically where, uh, you know, I see the most turnaround. And, and remarketing, making sure that you're refreshing the lists that you upload to Facebook when you're running ads um, with all the people who have engaged and haven't purchased. That's another thing that can kind of put some wind back in your sales as it relates to Facebook marketing. Right, right, right. Now, if not um, if not Facebook, what are some other great places for traffic? I mean, I imagine the $7 million, I mean, once it was set up, it was great and tweak little things and improve the email and improve the landing page. But a lot of it is now the people that we're pushing through. And like you said, if Facebook's more competitive, you know, you talked about the relevancy score, that's relevant to AdWords. AdWords, the more, the, the higher quality your ad is, it'll actually be cheaper. I don't know if that's changed. I've been on AdWords in probably a year at least. Both, both um, AdWords and Facebook have their own version of uh, relevancy score. We've, we've tried AdWords um, and seen some mild success. But really, in terms of paid media, it has been Facebook, for the most part, that has been the major breadwinner for us. But if we're talking about organic, 
Um, again, it's Facebook and then also YouTube and our blog and kind of using all of those in a combination to where they amplify the momentum and reach of each other. Mm. Can you explain that a little bit? I, I'm sure there's people that they, they understood what you said, but they don't understand what you mean, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's a content syndication strategy to where you're, you have, say, a webinar on Saturday and you have content to promote that webinar. You want to get that content in front of your audience on as many platforms as possible kind of like in a media bliss format to kind of get the heart and mind hearts and minds of people who are your potential buyers to show up. So on a Facebook, you want that message to line up with what you're saying on your blog, with what you're saying on YouTube, and they all need to be congruent. Sometimes they can even link to each other or refer to each other, but they're all part of, you know, really, I like to kind of use the metaphor of uh, like a sheet of music. They're all part of a song that you're you're playing to get people to show up to your event where you're going to sell them your product. Well said. Very well said. Okay, so Facebook's the big breadwinner. YouTube and blog are two other great sources of traffic. Um, having them all combined together back and forth. Um, now, if anyone was going to embark on this journey, if they were going to get started, they're like, all right, I'm going to do... Uh, again, I'm 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 beating the hammer. Teleseminar, video sales letter, webinar, some sort of canned and clonable sales pitch. If they were to start out on this, what would you recommend to someone? If you could go back and speak to us, alone in the office, <laughs> in the old office too, before Antoine came in, you know, if you go back and talk to us, what advice would you give to us? I would just, I would say, make sure to stay true to the data that you have. Um, and, you know, make sure you're evaluating the data that you have in front of you because you know that data is not lying to you. Don't necessarily just appeal to what, you know, someone else is doing on the other side of the street and they're saying, oh, I changed my order button to orange and sales went up 100% because it's not necessarily the case. So you've got to pay attention to what your uh, client base and what your data is telling you and react to that before kind of appealing to others or other authorities in the industry. Um, you can still listen to what other people are, say, are saying because sometimes, you know, there are some other great tactics that are out there, but it's really all about what your people are saying to you first. Yeah, that's good advice. So we're talking about here again to recap for people. We're talking about having a target audience. We're talking about having an offer for that audience, and we're talking about having some sort of recorded event, some sort of automated event, repeat event that happens where the beautiful thing about it is you can improve the process. And so just to help make it clear for people, if you have something that's live, there's no chance to do it better. You know, there's no chance to improve it. A great example, we talked about the Brainathon that we did, how it was a six-hour event. When Kent and I, when we first launched it, I think we were losing 30% or more of our people in the first 10 minutes of the webinar. We looked at the data of how many people are and how are watching this and how long are they staying. And what we realized, we were losing a huge 
group of people in the first 10 minutes and we went back and looked we saw that john was just it was he was welcoming people from all around the world for 10 minutes he's like hey we have andy in australia because remember we did it live the first time right got andy in australia and yeah and that was 10 minutes we're like how about we just cut that off and get to the chase and we did that and we saw a bump in number of people who stayed ergo a bump in sales because even though it might not seem significant but if we were able to keep half 15% of those 30% on longer, more of those people made it through, right? More of those people made it through the content and made it to the sales pitch and would continue on to buy. So I think that, you know, with those three elements, a target audience, an offer for that audience, and some sort of uh, recorded uh, sales presentation, you can set that up and set up tracking in place to see how it performs and then put people through it. And this is something that Griggs actually told me, because I remember when I first started this, even before I even started working with you, Kent, um, I was like, yeah, but, you know, I don't, it was almost like a fear, like an embarrassment thing. Like, but, you know, it's what if, what if it sucks? And he's like, eyeballs will have to be sacrificed. Like, you will have to sacrifice people not in the sense of like killing them but maybe people maybe people will be upset maybe people won't like you maybe people will be upset and pissed off like i tried to pitch me and it was a hard sell and you know whatever but what ken's even saying is just monitor your data and what you need for that data is you need you need a consistent action you know if you do something enough times a pattern will emerge and if it's not a pattern you like then you can make an adjustment and try to improve on it for that you need like lead flow so that's where i'm and the reason why i'm saying this is because i know people that i've had that i've talked to they're like oh i set this up and i put 100 people through it and it didn't really work and then i bailed and in fact to to be honest i've done this myself um you know with a webinar you have and and it doesn't convert and you just walk away from it or you let life get in the way and take you off the path don't it is not necessarily easy but it is simple in the sense of what you're trying to accomplish. And it's a worthy goal because like Ken alluded to, you know, there's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of automation. They're willing to spend money a dollar anywhere as long as they make more than a dollar back. Because if they want to make a hundred thousand dollars and they're only making a dollar per person, they just need a hundred thousand people. Everything's automated. And not only is everything automated, they can keep building out the yellow brick road behind them. So, um, did I miss anything on that, Kent? Or anything you want to add to that? No, no. If you're someone who's just getting started with with this kind of model that Daryl's referring to, it is a grind in the beginning, um, and you're not going to see an immediate success. You know, we had a number of failure uh, failures along our, our journey before we kind of ended up with a with a winning blueprint and model. And what we learned when we failed was what allowed us to kind of get there ultimately. So it ends up, even those those failures end up becoming part of your muscle memory in terms of how you evaluate data and kind of structure your event or your pitch to your your clients or prospects in whatever industry that you're in. Mm, 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 mm. Yes, very well said. Very, very, very well said. So this is great. I mean, I really hope people have their pens and paper out because there's a ton of content. They're probably going to want to listen to this a couple of times over because there, there's no magic room. I've been saying this a lot lately, but there's no magic room. There's nowhere Kent and I are going to hang up the phone and be like, oh, now that we got all that junk stuff, or let's talk about the real stuff that made it happen. Like, this is the real deal. What you are hearing is Kent and I reminisce and talk back and forth literally of something we've built together when we were the marketing department and the company was so lopsided too there's like 12 people on or 15 people on payroll and only two people and john responsible for bringing the bringing the bread in 
Um, but this is like, this is really what we went through. What we had to do, what we had to figure out to make it happen. So now Kent, I gotta, I want to ask you what your favorite quote is because you have sat and soaked through so many quotes in your, in your time doing social media and probably even still today. You got any favorite quotes for me? Oh yeah. I've definitely seen my fair share of quotes on social media, which are great engagement pieces by the way. But, um, you know, I gotta, I think I gotta go with a classic from Socrates. So to know, uh, is to know that you know nothing. And that's the meaning of true knowledge. Ooh, I love that. I love that. That is a good one. Um, sorry, that actually got me thinking. To, yeah, say it again. To know is to know that you know nothing. And that is the meaning of true knowledge. Mm, 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 mm. That's right. Yep, that's so well said. Very go, Socrates. He knew a thing or two, didn't he? <laughs> he did. <laughs> So, what do you think is the greatest? He's a smart guy. He's a smart guy. He knew some stuff. (laughs) Um, Do you think that you have any habits that you feel really helped on the path to success, even when we were together and after going and replicating this? Uh, Just kind of, kind of the the habit of developing that muscle memory of just continuously evaluating the data and going with what works, scaling it up, and letting go of what doesn't, Um, and not not letting kind of your opinion or other people's opinion get in a, get in the way of what the data is telling you. So, and for me, you know, that's really what it's been about. It's, it's all about the data and ultimately it's a numbers game. What are your kind of top KPIs for the people that are here when they're saying, we hear us talking about the data. What are some, what are some metrics that people should at least consider maybe that's not appropriate for them, but having got, I mean, I know that we were, we were making spreadsheets. We were tracking everything you could track. Cause we're like, we don't know what's important yet. So we're going to track everything and we're going to wait and figure out what correlations and then causations as best as we can kind of drill down. Right. Well, it depends on what your goal is. Number one, if you're just shooting for engagement initially and you know, eyeballs, to get in front of your message and you're not necessarily, not necessarily trying to monetize just yet, then you can focus on reach and engagement, likes, shares, and comments, but that's not going to pay the bills at the end of the day. So really for, for me and for us, the most important is what is the amount of gross revenue that we get per registration? So someone who opts in for one of our webinars how much money does that person make for us on average for this funnel? So that is, that is really the main one. And then to go a level further, how much do we make per person per platform? So for our Brainathon event, how much money does that one person make for us on organic social media or paid social media or blog or our newsletter? Once you truly understand the areas of your business that are working for you, you can scale those up and let go of the ones that simply don't work. Okay. So that's some good places to start for the people that are listening. And a lot of my followers by now, if you've listened to this interview, you've listened to the interviews with Jermaine Griggs, you've listened to the interviews with Jeff Roning, Dimitri's is a good one as well. 
you probably should be well equipped that if you're going to embark on this journey, you probably have a $50,000 plus education on it, if not more. And I mean that in terms of paying for coaching and consulting and all the rest. So, And now Kent's even given you some really great metrics to pay attention to because that's exactly what I remember. It was net earning per registrant when we were there. That that's what we were all about. How much? What was the net earning per registrant? How much? Wasn't I didn't care so much about show up rate. I mean, all that stuff. Great, we can improve it. But all I cared about is what it cost us to get someone in there, and how much did we make per person? Because that would tell us how much we could afford to spend. Because when you have an automated system with technology today, the way you can automate things. At the end of the day, I always call it my black box, where you've got the black box is. Uh, whatever it is, if it's a dentist office, you know, people come in crying and in pain on one side, they leave happy and smiling on the other. And your idea is to figure first, this needs to be a tight little operation. Everyone needs to have checklists on what they're doing. They need to know train on how to do what, where, when, um, if it's, if you can automate it, automate as much of it as you can. And then afterwards, it's how much does it cost me to get someone through it? And how much do I make when they go through it there? And as I said earlier, if you want to make $100,000 and you're only really making a dollar per person, then where can I find 100,000 people? So that's excellent. Um, I guess, do you feel that anything was ever holding you back or us back? Uh, when, when we were trying to get things going, initially, kind of, when, when I'd run into a roadblock, maybe even before you came on board, you know, I'd have a lot of ideas but I didn't have much authority and I was kind of afraid to speak up and kind of present them. So initially, like if I ran into a roadblock or had an idea, I'd think about it and be like, Oh, well, you know, you must already know better. Right. So I'm just not going to say anything. So that was kind of what initially held me back. And then over time, you know, I realized, Hey, you know, looking at the data, we really need to pay attention to this. And I became more and more confident of saying, hey, guys, we got to look at this because it's going to, you know, kind of shift the landscape of our business. So really just the confidence to say something, even if you're not sure, you know, that I think that's an important thing because it goes back to the quote you just said about Socrates, because it's funny. And, you know, sometimes I'll take advice from people. So I'm going to put a caveat to this. Be careful who you take advice from. You know, I remember I'm a martial arts school People come to me and ask about relationship, relationship advice because I was a martial arts instructor, but I had just recently let, ended and left a six-year relationship. And I was like, I'm not the person to talk to. Like, if you want to know how to make your relationship successful, I failed. You know, like, don't don't come to me. So be careful you ask for advice because the people you get advice from, you know, expect the same results that they've got uh, on that topic at least. But, you know, it's funny because I get blank stares or I get surprising looks sometimes because I'll take input from people because a lot of people, like, it's just like what you said, you know, they'll think, oh, well, they already know better. But sometimes we used to call it black belt eyes, the martial arts school. And that was something where, you know, after you've been training for so many years, you forget what it's like to be at the gym your very first day all over again, to be thrown onto the mats and be tossed around and twisted up and, you know, pinned and, you know, and choked and all sorts of other stuff, right? Like you have no idea what it's like to experience that for the first time because you've been doing it for five plus years now. So that is, you know, that's the whole like, you know, what you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, that's where the persistence comes in. So, and it was something that, you know, I struggled with in the past where, you know, maybe you get thrown on the mat metaphorically or not. Um, and you're just, man, I just, I want to go home, you know, but if you can kind of build up that persistence muscle, eventually you'll, you'll figure it out. 
So that was probably one of the biggest challenges that I had to learn how to overcome, you know, in a business setting. Do you have any predictions for the future of this industry, the future of how things are going with social media and marketing just today? I, yeah, I do. I think things are going to continue to evolve to cater to content marketing. It's going to be more and more about the content and the value that you provide and the number of people that see the value in what you offer out there. I think that there's going to be a growing need to understand the data and that it's not going to go away behind, you know, what your prospects and clients are telling you. And, and really, I think the internet marketing industry itself is, you know, on the precipice of shifting toward more subscription or access type models. Other industries have already made the shift too. So thinking of like Amazon or Netflix, where you kind of pay for access, like uh, Amazon Prime or Netflix, you play pay a monthly subscription to have access to all these movies or you get a discount on shipping for Amazon mm. and for the, for the gamers out there um, like league of legends, the model that they have where it's free to play. But if you pay with kind of a micro commitment structure, you can get a new skin or a new character or kind of unlock a few things. So I think all of those principles are, you know, kind of on the horizon for the internet marketing industry and, It'll happen eventually. Mm, mm. Now, I didn't uh, – well, I just want to know your input on this. This is kind of an interesting thing. I like to ask people this because this is another question I get a lot. Um, and I don't know. You may have may – have, well, I'll ask. So you talk about content marketing, that that's kind of where the future is going. How about walking – and even that 80-20 we talked about in the beginning, you know, where it's 80% content, 20% pitch – one, two things. First, how can you give away that much and still have something to sell? And, well, I think that's kind of the heart of the question. Like, how do you give away so much still have something to sell? Um, or why would someone buy if you give away so much already? Well, so that's a, that's a challenge. Um, you don't want to give away everything. But even when you're giving away, um, say, the first two chapters of a book, you kind of structure the content you're giving them in such a way that this is just the tip of the iceberg. And once you opt into the full product, you'll learn the next steps. So in, in the promotion of you know, that one piece of content, you are giving them 80% content and maybe pitching them 20% of the time, but there's still a larger draw at the end of the rainbow with your marketing sequence. So you don't want to, I mean, you don't want to give everything away on the front end. Um, you just want to give just enough to where you kind of entice that person to show up to the next step in your marketing funnel, whether it's an event or an order page or whatever it may be. Um, but all of your promotions to get people to X to purchase needs to adhere to that 80, 20% kind of principle. Um, and I strongly believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I agree wholeheartedly. I just, I, I know a lot of people, they're afraid of that. They're afraid to give stuff away. Um, you know, they're, they're, well, and that same thing, they, they have that issue. So 
That's funny though, because I remember one of my mentors told me about that. You know, he said, first of all, depending on the industry you're in, um, you know, especially like this, like knowledge base, I'm not afraid to give anything away because a lot of people like you can, we're, we're talking about a lot of great stuff. We're giving away a ton of value here. Um, but there's not, there's no reason for us to hold back because if people want or need help, they have to contact us to get it. You know, we can tell them this and if they can execute it on their own, by all means, figure it out. But you and I both know the trials and tribulations we went through, right. um, you know, and that it helps to have a coach and a mentor. So in that sense, you know, I remember one of my mentors saying, you know, Daryl, when a band has the opportunity to put their song on the radio across the country, they don't pick their second best song. They put their best song out there first to get everyone's attention. So I just think it's a great question to ask because it's like, you know, it's almost a freemium model. There's a lot of websites that give away a ton of stuff for free. And the concept I like to use is like if you were to put out bird food every day in your backyard, if you did it every day, put out bird food, more and more birds would over time and more animals would start to come and collect. And eventually one day you'd have a big enough audience that you would be able to go, hey, here's your free bird seed. By the way, if you're thirsty, I got bottles of water and it's a dollar a bottle. Exactly. Now, of course, animals don't have money, but it's the same concept. <laughs> yeah. And, and another example that comes to my mind is Spotify. You know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners use Spotify. Yes. I, I love it. And I had the free version for a really, really long time. And then finally, you know, I think I got enough Spotify ads saying upgrade to Spotify premium that, you know, I finally bought. Um, and it was like, I think something like $10 for three months as like a kind of not free trial, or maybe there wasn't a free trial phase. And then it was $9 a month after that point. But the free version of what they provided was still awesome, even though it had a couple of ads in it every, you know, fourth of song, but you know, they would market their upsell or their subscription model in such a way where I could either continue to use the free model and be fine with that and not get pissed that they were kind of marketing you know, their next product to me. So in whatever you're selling, adhering to kind of that approach, I think will serve everyone well. I think that's a great tip. I th I really do. I really do. I think that's a great tip. And at the end of the day, you can experiment. You know, it's experiment. It's a test. And, you know, just test it on your next 10 prospects. That's something that I remember in my martial arts school, same thing. People, how do you test a new price? Well, just offer the next 10 people that walk through the door something different. Because you have to test. Eyeballs will need to be sacrificed. Some people may complain because you've offered someone one deal and someone else the other. But, all your, you know, it's a special time promotion. And, you know, at the end, you're trying to find a sweet spot of everything. And, again, it comes back to just being consistent and persistent and trying to track your metrics and knowing what, you know, what converts better, what doesn't convert as well, and just going with what, with what really matters. Kent, this has been such a great call. Uh, honestly, first, it's just been great. We haven't talked this long in, in such a great long time. And we used to sit in the office and talk about life and marketing and business and frustrations all the time. So it's just really good to right. hear your voice and connect and just spend some time with you again. Um, I know the listeners have devoured this call. Um, it's not every day they get access to, you know, an inside secrets on how to build a seven figure automated funnel. And it's been fun. I could talk about this all day. I know you and me both. Well, we probably will. Cause we're definitely going to touch <laughs> more often now. Um, but I want to be respectful of your time. And I just want to ask, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? Not off the top of my head. Okay. 
Well, perfect. Well, Kent, just thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing, for being candid, um, for exposing flaws as well as victories, for, for just being real about everything. And honestly, just even personally, through the thick and thin, you were a great friend and a great ally. And I, you know, couldn't have done this without you. Um, you know, you really were, uh, you were really helpful. I mean, you were really there. We were a team when we did this. And obviously now both of us, it's a great kind of flag in our cap, I guess, or feather in our cap, just so, so to speak on what, you know, right. what you can accomplish, which is just crazy when you set a big, hairy, audacious goal and you achieve it. Um, you know, and then look around and realize the world's not so different anymore, but now you've just accomplished a couple other things. So I just really appreciate one that we did that together and two that you've stayed in touch and three that you would be willing to come on and share this with my listeners. I think that's really awesome. And on behalf of them and myself, I really appreciate it and wish you and your loved ones all the best. No problem. Thanks for having me. Actually, you know what, before we let you go, Ken, I can't even believe I did this. How do people reach you? If they want to get in touch with you, how do they reach you? How can they get in touch? If someone's listening to this and they're like, I have a question for Kent, how do I get a hold of him? What's some of the best ways to get in touch with you? Oh, let's see. Um, well, I guess if anyone has a question, they can uh, shoot me an email at kayeno 17 at gmail.com. Perfect. And then, of course, his name is Kent Martin. You can look him up. He's he's uh, very handsome and always has a pretty girl on his arm unless he's uh, settled down with someone. But, um, yeah, you can always find him there or driving a flashy new car of some sort as well. <laughs> Anyways, Kent, thank, again, thank you. Appreciate you so much. And, um, yeah, man, when I come back to Cali, we'll go for drinks. Sounds good. Thanks, Ben.